So yeah, I forgot to send you like the photo tip or whatever where I don't tell you anything and I just send you a picture of like random people Mm -hmm. and I'm like this is my story and you're like oh they look creepy and I'm like yeah (laughs) and that's literally (laughs) the whole conversation but I forgot to send you anything for uh, this one but actually it's something you told me about before so maybe it's good I didn't send you a photo because you sent me a picture (laughs) already Okay, that kind of narrows it down, but I didn't send you, I couldn't send you anything either because, like, it would give away my whole topic. <laughs> the oh. only hint I can give you is is France. That's it. Ooh, I'm excited. That's all I got. Just by f- saying France, <laughs> you have my attention. Yep, you're going to hear me speak some French and it's going is to be horrible. Is it the horrible. Beast of Galvedon or whatever it is? I still. I don't remember. It's like a werewolf in France that's famous. But I'm going to write that down so I can remember it for another time. I think I heard it on uh, my favorite murder, I feel like, or stuff you missed in history. Like, I don't know why I get the podcasts mixed up because one focuses more on history. But then my favorite murder also has like historical crimes at the same time. Yeah. One of those podcasts mentioned this beast from France. Okay. I'll have to check it out because, um, yeah, it's not that. But I can tell you that I got this idea um, from another uh, podcast as well. So, hmm. okay. It's not an original idea. <laughs> <laughs> so mine that I'm doing this week, it's sort of a new kind of format. It's like a sort of montage combined. It's uh, I took two stories because I wasn't sure how much information I'd find from the original story I was going to go with. So I figured if I find a lot of information, right. then that could be the whole thing. But if I don't find a lot, I could like combine it with another similar topic and have a double story or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's what I went with. Cool. <laughs> So it's the first time I'm doing that kind of format. So we'll see how it goes. Double trouble. <laughs> okay, so yes, the... I wrote how to say his name phonetically. I'll have oh, to wait. Say this in a few minutes. <laughs> Are you still going to do the intro? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm getting excited. Sorry. <laughs> How dare you remind me to do the intro? Well, I didn't want you to listen to it again and be like, oh, we didn't do an intro. Yeah, either like record it at the end or like as a, the day before I upload it or whatever. You're like, hey, this is Danielle with the intro. Um, So welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Oi with the Tarot already. I'm one of your hosts, Danielle. And I'm your other host, Sandra. And... I've been noticing we've been get, getting some more listeners from different countries and like you already were mentioning France. So we have, I guess, the listeners in France now and Chile and it's exciting. Yeah. It's also throughout exciting. the U.S., I guess we're expanding too. So that's always good news. And I actually, I haven't checked lately, but I know we will have listener mail from one of Dave's friends. I guess he has a crime suggestion story. 
so that's cool that's good that'd be nice to have like some listener mail so shout out to nick of course nick (laughs) yeah (laughs) he might be our number one fan i'm not sure that's cool though (laughs) thanks nick (laughs) oh and then also dave's mom gave me another idea for another story which I, I've heard about the crime before. It's from Boston, but I forgot about it. And then she was like, oh, yeah, you should do this one. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a actually pretty interesting case. And I guess the guy who was murdered is Dave's sixth cousin. He was one of the famous Boston Brahmin family, like, um, what's it called? Like, class... They're kind of they were considered sort of like a class of people, the Brahmin. Mm-hmm. So I guess he was part of that whole thing. So he's like somehow related to Dave's like great, 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 great someone. So and it's like a well-known case. <laughs> so I'm interested. Dave is related to quite a few interesting people. <laughs> well, I guess now you are too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess if, like, your family's from England and, like, comes to the mass area from, like, I don't know, two, three hundred years ago and never leaves the state, I guess a lot, they can accomplish a lot of things. I guess so. (laughs) But yeah, it's pretty funny. It's kind of like you and how your family basically owns Maine. Yeah, it feels (laughs) like that sometimes. We don't. But that's also what happens when your grandma is one of seven and your mom yeah. has, like, 50 first cousins. Yeah, it's probably a, like, similar reasoning. Yeah, and they that, just like, don't really – families. They don't really leave. They stay. Except for my grandma, <laughs> who is like, nope, I'm not staying. So, yeah. Gotta love her for that. Also, so, seamless segue – my story, at least the first part of it, also relates to Boston. Okay. But uh, to my knowledge, no one involved is related to Dave. Not Dave yet. Dave the intern, by <laughs> Not that you know of. So this topic, this specific kind of crime has been something that's interested me. Um, sleepwalking, murders. I knew it. so yeah the you told me about this lawyer rufus shote i have no idea if i'm saying that right i looked it up it's like shote or shoot i'm not sure um so i guess he he was famous for other trials or other cases but this is one that's considered like one of his most famous cases i think and it was him defending Albert Terrell, a.k.a. the sleepwalking killer. And so I guess I'll give background into that whole case. At the age of 22 in 1846, Albert Terrell was arrested for the gruesome murder of his mistress. At 4.30 a.m. on October 27, 1845, the body of... Mrs. Anne Bickford. Wait, I feel like I saw her. Her name was Mary. This is saying Anne. Okay. (laughs) Her name is either Anne or Mary. Maybe it's one of those where it's like Anne was like her middle name. Mm -hmm. I feel like her name is Mary. 
Okay, well, this was Mrs. Ann Bickford. She was 21, and she was found in a disreputable? Disreputable? Yes. Disreputable. (laughs) I was like, wait, that's not right. Disreputable boarding house on Cedar Lane in the Beacon Hill area. She was found in a nightgown on her back, almost decapitated. The wound on her neck was six inches long and three inches deep. The room was filled with smoke because someone had attempted to light the room on fire, starting with the bed. A razor with blood was found at the foot of the bed, and her hair was singed and her skin was charred. One ear was cut open, and she was missing an earring. Also, a man's vest and cane uh, was found nearby, also covered in blood. Albert Terrell was seen with Bickford earlier the same night and was nowhere to be found. A witness reported seeing Terrell bargaining with a livery stable keeper where he was heard being in a scrap and had to get away. So after this, no one could find Terrell because he had decided to escape to Weymouth, a town south of Boston. Relatives there gave him money so he could leave Massachusetts. The next day, he went to Canada with intentions of sailing to Liverpool, but due to poor weather conditions, the ship turned back and he boarded a ship in New York City headed to New Orleans. His escape was short-lived when after receiving a tip, authorities found the fugitive on December 5th in the Gulf of Mexico on his way to New Orleans. He was identified in Boston newspapers as Albert J. Terrell, Gentleman of Weymouth. Apparently, Albert Terrell, and now it says Mary, Bickford, scandalized Boston for a while with their high percentage of moral turpitude. As mentioned earlier in another episode, I love, like, scandalous and naughty parts of history, so that just, like made me more interested in this couple. I guess they were, like, known for gallivanting around Boston and going to, like, not great boarding houses or whatever and showing off money that they didn't really have and stuff like that. They were seen a lot in Boston, I guess. So the story of Mary is that she married James Bickford at the age of 16 and they settled in Bangor, Maine. They had one child together who died in infancy. When friends went to console her, they invited her on a trip to Boston with the thoughts of cheering her up. When they arrived in Boston, she found herself so entranced by the sophistication and big city kind of life that after returning home, she had an immediate desire to move to Boston and felt dissatisfied with her current situation. She wrote a note to her husband, which says, quote, I cannot let you know where I am, for the people where I board do not know I have a husband. I feel very unsteady and will consent to live with you and keep the house, but you must consent for me to have my liberty, end quote. Oh, actually, so I guess she didn't even go back to Maine. It sounds like she just stayed in Boston and then wrote her husband a note saying that she didn't want to go back. Wow. What happened. It's pretty ballsy. So then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after getting this note, her husband, it sounds like, went immediately to Boston to search for her. 
And that is where he found her working at a house of ill repute on North Margin Street. And I I couldn't find what exactly happened when he saw her. But apparently after that, he returned to Maine without her. Mary continued working at various brothels when she met Albert Terrell, a wealthy and married father of two children. They would travel together, changing their names at every stop, saying that they were married. Their relationship was known for being volatile and passionate. She once told a fellow boarder that she enjoyed quarreling with Terrell because they had such a good time making up after. So on September 29, 1845, he was indicted on charges of adultery. The press described this as some indelicacies with a young woman. His friends, family, and wife sent the prosecutor letters trying to request, request a stay of proceedings. His trial was postponed for six months. Terrell posted bond and went back to Mary at a boarding house on Cedar Lane. This was a location known for allowing unmarried couples to live and where Mary would eventually be found dead. Going back to his lawyer, Rufus Schott, who I guess was considered a kind of legal wonderkind, he was a United States senator from Massachusetts. He was known for his lengthy speeches and once spoke the longest sentence known to man, which was 1,219 words which made his mentor Daniel Webster weep, apparently. I don't know from boredom or because he was so impressed, but it just has made him weep. That's okay. So his thought was to use a daring tactic while defending Terrell by saying he was a chronic sleepwalker. Terrell may not have killed Mary Bickford, but if he if he did, it was while he was in a trance and should not be held responsible for this. A member of Shodi's team, Aness Merrill, proposed the theory that Mary cut her own throat, saying that suicide was an almost natural death for her character. Then the Shodi's team painted Tyrell as an honorable and upstanding gentleman until Bickford tainted his character. Quote, his love for her was passing the love ordinarily borne by men for women. She, for a long time, had him spellbound by her depraved, lascivious art. The strategy was a timely one, which resonated with the moralistic culture of early Victorian America, where the idea of prostitution was largely feared. It was not difficult to convince the public that Mary was the morally corrupt one who was a lady of the night and who bewitched Tyrell. Evidence will be produced to show that it had pleased Almighty God to afflict the prisoner with this species of mental derangement. So I guess they're also trying to argue that the sleepwalking caused him to be mentally deranged for a period. And sort of like, I think similar to like insanity plea, but with yeah. a twist. 
Then Tyrell's family and friends spoke of the strange behavior that he was exhibiting shortly before the killing. Uh, they spoke about his uh, family history. He started sleepwalking at the age of six, but with each passing year, the spells became increasingly more frequent and severe. Apparently, he would act violently towards his brother. He would smash windows. And at one point, he grabbed his cousin, who was sleeping, to threaten him with a knife. <laughs> I don't think that's a classic sleepwalker thing, but sure. No. Um, they also said that whenever he was in a sleepwalking state, his voice would change, and he sounded shrill and trembling. Walter Channing, the dean of Harvard Medical School, corroborated this while testifying. He maintained that a person in a sleepwalking or... Here's another fun word. Somnambulistic state is capable of rising at night, dressing himself, committing a murder, setting a fire, and then escaping. At the end of the fourth day of the trial, Kshot's delivered a six-hour speech full of drama and theatrics where he told the court they would be sparing a citizen's life by sparing Tyrell. The jury deliberated for two hours and they then found him not guilty. So that's the first uh, sleepwalking murder case. Okay. The second one is a little more recent, and this is also considered a pretty well-known case. It takes place in 1987 in Canada, and this was when Kenneth Parks killed his mother-in-law. So in 1987, he was 23 years old from uh, Toronto. He was married and had an infant daughter. He suffered from severe insomnia and anxiety likely due to his unemployment status and his gambling debts. The summer before the killing of his mother-in-law, Kenneth had stolen $32,000 from his employer, Revere Electric. He wanted to use the money for gambling. The company found out about the theft and fired him in March 1987. On the early morning of May 1987, Kenneth got out of bed, drove 14 miles to his wife's parents' home in the Toronto suburb of Scarborough. So his uh, par- his in-laws were named Barbara Ann and Dennis Woods. When arriving at their house, he got a tire iron from the trunk of his car and entered their home using a key he had on him. He proceeded to the bedroom where he started choking his father-in-law until he was unconscious. He then beat his mother-in-law with a tire iron and then stabbed her with a kitchen knife. Uh, I didn't say where he got the knife from, if it was like from the in-law's house or from his house. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess he also had a kitchen knife on him. Wow. And then later when the police were there, like investigating the crime scene... I guess they found Barbara later in a different room, which was five or six feet away from the bedroom where the killing took place. At the time of the crime, Kenneth also picked the phone up from the kitchen and set it down so it was off the hook. He ran upstairs and stood outside the teenage daughter's rooms. And I said, so I guess these were her sister's-in-law? Because the teenage daughters of 
his in-laws, so I guess they must have been related <laughs> somehow. It just said the teenage daughters, but yeah. So then he stood outside their rooms, stopped, ran downstairs, and left. After this incident, Kenneth drove himself to the police station at 4.45 a.m. He was covered in blood and confessed to the killing of his mother-in-law and attempted killing of his father-in-law, but he actually thought he killed his father-in-law, too, at the time. The police recalled uh, him seeming distressed and he was shaking. He did not appear to be in pain, despite having cut tendons in both of his hands which is like a big detail that's mentioned a lot throughout this. Mm -hmm. He hurt his hands pretty badly, but he didn't seem like he was in pain at all by this. Interesting. Yeah, that's odd. Like it might be considered maybe shock, but then they're going to use this to say that this is probably because he was sleepwalking is like what the defense will say. Oh yeah. According to Psychology Today, his lack of pain was from dissociative... And analgesia, which may occur during sleepwalking, but it can also occur after drug use or while in states of shock or distress. After examining the case, experts found the only explanation of the crime to be sleepwalking. Kenneth then took a number of sleep tests and psychological tests. EEG scans show that Kenneth had some abnormal brain activity during deep sleep. Experts' theory is that his actions were a result of different events all coming together. I guess he had plans to fix his in-law's furnace at some point, and he was so comfortable driving to their house that he knew how to the route to their house like easily. And then in addition to having to fix the in-law's furnace, he was also anxious and restless by an upcoming trial like related to the theft. Mm-hmm. Experts believe that while sleeping, Kenneth suddenly realized he had to fix the furnace, so he got up, drove to the house, but was then startled by his in-laws. He attacked them without being aware of what he was really doing. Similar to the Albert Terrell case, this Kenneth Parker case uh, questions whether murder during sleepwalking could qualify as having a type of mental derangement. And I guess this may count as a disease of the mind, which can lead to a kind of temporary moment of insanity. The defense at Kenneth's trial argued that a combination of the external factors which caused the killing would likely not occur again in the future. In the end, Kenneth was actually acquitted of the murder of his mother-in-law and assault on his father-in-law. So then they sort of dug deeper into like his family history if maybe there was another person who was a sleepwalker because I guess it's hereditary. Mm -hmm. So they found out that Parker's grandfather was a known sleepwalker, but uh, Kenneth's mother only saw one potential incident involving Kenneth that made her think that he could be a sleepwalker too. But I guess his grandfather, who actually did was a sleepwalker... Uh, would often walk around the house and would even cook food during his sleepwalking to go back to him being able to drive while sleepwalking, which seems kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How does that even work? So he hadn't been to his in-law's house for two months prior to the killing, which was basically around the time he was fired. And then he also made this drive while he was sleepwalking at night 
there were also large intersections, several large intersections you would have to go through on this route. So this sounds like it would be a difficult task. It is considered atypical for sleepwalkers to take long trips during their sleep. Kenneth's grandfather never left the house during his sleepwalking. And he had cousins who were afflicted with parasomnia, but only one of his cousins uh, sleepwalked and she also never left her house while she was sleepwalking. People find it hard to believe that he was not aware of what was going on during the um, attack of his in-laws. And I guess it's considered a myth that you can't wake up a sleepwalker. So they found it strange that during all the time that his uh, mother-in-law was screaming or they were pleading for their lives like that, he didn't wake up at all during any of that. Like, it doesn't really make sense to them. And the police actually said that they could tell that there was a great struggle going on based on what they found. Like, the sheets were all messed up. Like, the headboard was messed up. The mattress was messed up. So they could Mm -hmm. tell that there was a big fight going on. Yeah. And then in addition to this... They found out that his home situation was a pretty unhappy one at this time, and he actually would often sleep on the couch. But on that particular night, his wife, I guess, said it was okay for him to sleep in the bedroom, but he actually refused, saying that he instead wanted to get help first for his gambling problems, and he also wasn't tired. According to Kenneth, he fell asleep on the couch sometime after midnight, And his next recollection was seeing his mother-in-law's face and that her face looked very sad. So this is also a major detail against him because like the fact that he's able to remember his mother-in-law's face is also a big like he probably wasn't actual actually in a sleepwalking state if he was able to remember this basically. Right. But yeah. So he was acquitted in the end and was free to go and everything. But there's like, it sounds like it's not totally decided that he actually was in a sleepwalking state because like he cut the tendons in his hands and he didn't realize like could be contributed to shock. I feel like he was probably like cognizant for something yeah just driving attacking his in-laws driving to the police station (laughs) he must have been aware of something i think that's just really like creepy to think that like you could murder someone while sleepwalking and also drive while sleepwalking i know yeah and then they're like oh yeah there were several large intersections too so like i don't even know if i trust myself driving when i'm like awake Mm -hmm. during the day never mind like sleepwalking right so yeah two sleepwalking murder cases where both of the people got off free crazy well i mean i guess if it is sleepwalking like how can you how can you really disprove it that it like how can you say that it wasn't sleepwalking i know and they can't technically say it's insanity so they have to say like all the psychological stuff and Mm -hmm. it basically it sounds like a less intense version of pleading insanity basically like yeah i wonder though like if he and his wife are still together or if they're divorced because that was her parents i don't know i'm gonna assume they're probably not together yeah i think when i was googling this i saw something about him running for some political position and i was like wow i wonder how that's going to go Talk about having skeletons in the closet. <laughs> yeah, like, really? <laughs> That's crazy. 
Mm. Yeah, because when I when I told you about it, because I heard about it from one of my coworkers who heard about it on like a ghost tour or like a, a Boston walk or something um, that he did like years ago with his partner. And then he told me about it. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Like I should tell Danielle because that's kind of more her area than mine. So. I know. I'm Now I want to find out where this boarding house was, mm-hmm. like all the houses of ill repute, apparently. Maybe Probably. they have a like houses of ill repute ghost tour. Maybe. <laughs> they might. Probably do. It's probably part of, like, something in Boston. Right. Yeah, there's, like, so much history. But, yeah, this Albert Terrell guy, I don't know if he stayed with his wife after, but I remember reading um, after he won, he was, like, celebrating. And his reaction to this was, like, I think he wrote into his lawyer saying like, oh, I paid you too much. This was such an easy trial for me to win that I want a refund or <laughs> like for real. He was like, oh, I want half the money I paid you because you didn't have to do anything because I would have easily won or something like that. Like, no, <laughs> no. Wow, that's <laughs> I don't even know. That's a kind of odd reaction to winning something that. If you were innocent or whatever, wouldn't you just be happy that you weren't hanged or something? Mm-hmm. Instead, you're like, I want my Yay, money back. Now I want money. <laughs> Probably to go to more houses of ill repute. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's not how this works. You paid me and I was able to set you free. I did what you told me to do. Like, no. Oh, Albert Terrell. It's also funny that you mentioned Bangor, Maine, because that's where my family's yeah. from. <laughs> You said Bangor, and I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I know Bangor. It's very small yeah, town. Marion James Bickford. I keep mm-hmm. wanting to say Pickford. Yeah. Yeah, Bickford. But yeah, I can't really blame that woman that wanted to leave Bangor to go to Boston. I know, it's interesting, too. Like, she, that was after her baby died, too. Mm-hmm. So she was, like, so depressed. Her parent, her her friend said, let's go on a trip to Boston. And then I guess she never went back to Maine after that. Just wrote a note to her husband. I'm here now. I want my liberty. Which, like, when I saw that, I, uh, like, oh, feel bad for her. Yeah. She just wanted some freedom, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it does, I guess it does make sense because if you're thinking of Maine, like the big city nearest or the biggest city is either like Portland or Boston. Right. I don't know if Portland was like a huge city back then. And I wonder if, I mean, it sounded like it wasn't that difficult for her to go to Boston. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, maybe that was the first time she left Maine and she was just so blown away that she was like, oh, now I, I don't want my life to be any other way. Yeah. I don't have sad memories here or something like that. Yeah, it's a fresh start. Yeah. Which makes sense. It's just ballsy that she just wrote a note to her husband and was like, right. I'm going to stay here, not come I home. I know, like 1800s. <laughs> like, that sounds like something, a more modern type of thing to do. Yeah, it's more something of like, I feel like the 1920s <laughs> or 40s to be like, no, I'm not coming home. Classic 50 or 60s movie. Mm-hmm. Mad Men time. Yep. Yeah. All right, I guess I'll start on mine unless you have anything else to add no well okay so i thought that which maybe i got it confused with this because he was on his way to new orleans for some reason i thought there was some new orleans murder that involved sleepwalking 
But then I was like, maybe not. Like, there's, which maybe I won't say the title now because I want that to be another episode. I know there's a well-known murderer from New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And I thought that it was related to sleepwalking, but I guess not. Because when I was looking this up, I looked up sleepwalking crimes, uh, New Orleans. And I actually kept saying the Albert Terrell guy because he was on his way to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, maybe I got that mixed up. Like... But then he didn't even get there, so I feel yeah. like that should be considered a New Orleans. Yeah, I was I kept looking for this New Orleans sleepwalking killer case. So if any listeners know what I'm talking about, <laughs> write into us at oi with the terror already at gmail talk. Or reach out to us on our Instagram account. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find <laughs> at this. Oi like, with the terror already. So I don't know. Maybe I was mixing up two different things, but yeah, yeah I it I seems know. like these were like the more well-known sleepwalking crimes. Yeah, I don't know. I do know. I think it's that one, but I think the one that you mentioned, it's either that one or another one that's really famous, is still like studied at Harvard for like Harvard Law. Like they study the case and they try to figure out like how it was that he got off like innocent essentially and not convicted. So it's still like a big case that they study. I think. I think it's that one. Hmm. Which is interesting when you think about like going to law school and studying all these old cases. Yeah, they probably had a lot to work with Mm -hmm. just in the Boston area, probably. Yeah. And I think the other reason is because it was in Boston. So it's like local history. Hmm. Okay, now I'm done. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You sure? Yeah. So I did something a little different this week, um, and I actually got this idea from another podcast called Mythical Monsters that's on Spotify, and it discusses like every, I think every week or every few days, a different like mythical being, like centaurs and will-o'-wisps and all that. So the one that I picked for this week is actually gargoyles, which is a little different. (laughs) I thought you were going to say something else. What did you think I was going to say? Oh, no, I thought you were going to follow that up with something like gargoyles. And this is why they're evil. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that point. <laughs> okay. Whenever I like the first thing I think of after hearing gargoyles is uh, the, oh, my God, the Notre Dame Disney movie. Punchback yeah. of Notre Dame. I almost, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I said France at the beginning of the podcast. That was my clue. Oh. Because it yeah. is French, um, or it, deri- it comes from the French word uh, for, I think, gargoyle. Right. So that's why I was like, it's <gasps> Is French. it about Notre Dame? No. <laughs> oh. Based- I was going to say, I have a, well, I don't have a Notre Dame story, but I've been there before it burnt down and stuff. That's cool. So I've never been. Yeah. I've always wanted to go. I haven't had a chance to go yet. Basically, just a little history about gargoyles. So they are carved stone creatures, and they are known as grotesques. They are often made of granite, and they serve an important purpose in architecture. 
Um, other than providing kind of a different decoration for the buildings, they do contain spouts that direct water away from the sides of buildings. So they do act as kind of what we would have as a modern day gutter and they expel the water. The word gargoyle actually comes from the French word gargoli, uh, which means throat or gullet. And they think that this comes from the gurgling sound that the water makes as it passes through the gargoyle and out of its mouth. It turns out that gargoyles have actually been used for hundreds of years and that ancient Egyptians created them in the shape of a lion's head. Other popular animals include dogs, wolves, eagles, snakes, goats, and monkeys. And over the years, uh, there have been many types of creatures that have been used. For example, some are humans, such as monks, and others are actual combinations of both humans and animals. And these are called uh, chimeras. Some of these include griffins, centaurs, harpies, and mermaids. Some of the most famous gargoyles in the world sit atop cathedrals, such as Notre Dame in Paris. So I don't know if you want to add anything to Notre Dame or if you want me to continue. No, I mean, (laughs) this is the issue with eight-year-olds going on vacation and being like, let's go to these cool countries and you'll learn everything. And now like, I don't remember a lot of travels. But you saw I them. I mean, yeah. I saw everything and I can like like say I did it, but I don't remember. <laughs> I kind of remember seeing the Mona Lisa, but that's not helpful for this. Yeah. Wait, that's also... No, that is France. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, no, that's Italy. <laughs> yeah. That's the Louvre. Yeah, it's in France. <laughs> okay. All right. I just but wasn't sure. Probably large, creepy mm-hmm. building yep. with stones. Yep. All right. I'll continue then. Um, so after the 18th century, they became less common because of modern uh, things that were developed, such as drain pipes. Occasionally, some buildings would still have them, but they were more decorative than functional. There are some myths regarding gargoyles. Um, For instance, they were known to stand guard and to ward off evil spirits and frighten away other creatures that sought harm. The more hideous and frightening in appearance is all the better to essentially scare off these dark creatures. There's also stories of how that night they may come to life and protect while one is asleep and vulnerable and that they can fly around the whole area and cover an entire village or town as well as the church. Then when the sun rises, they resume their place once more and serve as guardians during the day uh, when their fierce visage can be seen and frighten off those that see their faces. And one other myth actually dates back to ancient Greece that a gargoyle can purify any tainted water. And seeing as how many serve as the functional purpose of rain spouts, it does kind of make sense. It was also thought that when it rained, they purified the water descending from the skies and they prevented disease and foul water supplies. There is one French legend uh, that I found to be kind of interesting, and that is Saint Romanus actually saved his country from a dragon named La Gorie. After defeating the creature, he beheaded its body. However, because the dragon possesses the ability to breathe fire, its head and neck could not be burned. So he mounted the Lagori's head on a wall of a church and used it to scare off harmful spirits. Many of these gargoyles are depicted as grotesque creatures, but it's actually said that they're kind of like a snowflake where you never actually see two that are the same or that are alike 
Some legends also say that not only do they come to life to ward off evil, but that they can communicate with others when the wind or the rain passes through their mouths. Others say that gargoyles are alive and can watch over places and people even through their stone exterior. So I kind of thought that that was kind of short, but really interesting because I've, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't really think we have a lot of gargoyles in the States, but like I do remember going to other places and seeing them and thinking that they're really cool and kind of wondering what's kind of more behind the legend. And obviously we know them from, like you said, Hunchback of Notre Dame, where they do actually kind of come to life for Quasimodo and they do kind of help him and they're kind of his friends. So I thought there might be more to them than kind of meets the eye. So that's why I was really interested in looking into it a little bit more this Mm. week. Yeah, I like the functionality Mm -hmm. meaning of them too. I didn't know that. I thought, yeah, I don't know what I thought. I feel like they give some kind of meaning behind them in the Disney movie. But um, yeah, that's good to know. I also thought maybe to prevent birds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they have like sharp parts or something like that, pigeons or whatever. But also like artistic. Yeah. Whatever. It does, yeah, it I mean, goes with the building, I guess. It would match. If you consider birds to be evil, then sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I still, And I mean, they're obviously not that much in use anymore because we do have like modern day plumbing and we do have rain spouts right. that kind of take over the job. But just the fact that they've decided to keep them and they haven't taken them down kind of shows the importance mm-hmm. of them and kind of preserving that history as well which helps kind of the myths and legends behind them continue to carry on. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that traditional thing. Yeah, I just thought they were sort of an, I thought they were always like an added sort of decorative type of statue or something like that. Yeah. So I didn't really mm-hmm. think there was a story behind them. Mm-hmm. But then reading about like the legend of, what's his name? Uh, the front legend of St. Romanus. And how, like, he supposedly saved his country from a dragon and then turned it into a gargoyle. That was kind of cool to learn. And that was kind of like, you know, okay, that makes sense. And that's why, like, they're still really, really popular in kind of the French area, maybe. Might have Hmm. something to do with that. Or just the fact that, you know, Notre Dame is a very old church and at one point probably didn't have modern plumbing. So the gargoyles were needed. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So something a little different this week. And not Harry Potter related. <laughs> I feel like if I were Leslie, I'd have a reference or quote from the movie, but I don't remember. Yeah, I feel like I should have. I don't. They said something. Let me see. Cause they, I wasn't thinking of it. That's okay. Let me see if I can find one. I guess this is like a well-known. This might be from the book. There exists in this era for thoughts written in stone are privilege absolutely comparable to our current freedom of the press. It is the freedom of architecture. But that's more of like from the book hmm. than the movie. Because I forget that there's also a book. Yeah. But I'm sure. Maybe maybe we can have Leslie write one in. Just <laughs> be like, hey, Leslie. Do you remember any quotes? I should ask her to do our episode titles. Yeah. She'd be pretty good. Like, last week it totally forgot until I was uploading it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Forgot to think of a title. Yeah. We usually, I don't know, sometimes I feel like we come up with good titles and sometimes, like... It's kind of a last second. (laughs) I mean, I guess the most famous quote from the Punchback of Notre Dame is Quasimodo saying sanctuary. 
because that's like a big mm-hmm. thing. And then one of the gargoyles, I guess, has yep. like pigeons all over them and is like, don't you ever migrate? Yeah. That's the other one that mm-hmm. I think of. I don't think there are any other famous gargoyle movies. No. <laughs> I can't but. think of any. Hi. Steak is ready. <gasps> Steak is ready. I guess it's time for the weekly oi. I guess so. <laughs> I didn't make a side dish. Is that my oi? Dave has a weekly oi. Oh, Dave, what is it? I didn't make a side dish. Oh, no. (laughs) So that should be my weekly oi. (laughs) That you didn't make a side dish for your steak. That Dave didn't make a side dish. Okay, so my weekly oi is also my weekly ow. My doctor, Fauci Auxi to be exact. Because I got the second vaccine on Saturday. Nice. So, yes. My arm is sore, but that's pretty much it. And then I actually, like, so yeah, I got it Saturday at around 10 or 11. And Saturday was fine. But then Sunday, like, all of a sudden, at maybe 10, 11 a.m., I just, like, got hit by, like, a hit of fatigue or just getting super tired for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like I could have taken a nap. And normally, I don't really do naps during the day did you get pfizer so i was like oh wow yeah pfizer yeah i did too and i was really tired but i also had to drive oh, like okay. two hours to get to right. the place and back so i'm not used to that mm-hmm. but i was really tired yeah pfizer okay i feel like pfizer just makes you tired and moderna gives you like other flu like symptoms more okay hmm. so maybe that's like a common side effect then mm-hmm. so yeah that was my Weekly, oi, ow. (laughs) I guess I'll say mine. Mine was once again revolving around movers. (laughs) Oh, really? So I found a moving company um, that my roommate and I are actually both using. And they're a good company. We've used them before. So I called them to make an appointment. And everything seemed fine. Like, I was able to say everything that I need to have moved. And we set up a date and a time. And then I get the email confirmation. And it has the wrong date on it. So I had to call them back and just say, hi, I just want to like, I just made this appointment with you. I just want to confirm it's for this date because the email says this date. And the guy was so apologetic and was like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. That's my fault. Like, let me send you a new one. Like, I can confirm you have the correct date. That is the date that we have you down Mm -hmm. for. And I was like, okay, I just want to like make sure a little bit of a heart attack there, but it's fine. But it was also at the end of the week, too, where I was like, I don't need this extra stress right now. And moving is just yeah. stressful in general. Like, it doesn't matter when yeah. or where or how big your place is. It's still stressful. But they were really apologetic, yeah. so it turned out fine. But it was just, like, one more thing where I was like, okay, I'm glad I called to make sure because I need to move on this date, not the day that you think I'm moving. Oh, wow. Good thing you noticed. Yeah. It would have been fine anyway, but I'm just glad I got that second email of, okay, like, it's all fine. Here's the correct date. So. Yeah. So yeah, that was my weekly oi. It's exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm stressing, but I'm excited. Almost July. Yeah. (laughs) I know, I can't believe it's almost the end of May. It's like halfway through May. So I guess we'll uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for another fun episode of Oi with the Terror already. If you have any stories or any ideas you can email us at oi with the terror already at gmail.com we 
drop a new episode every Thursday now. So keep a lookout. Make sure to like and subscribe and follow so you get the notification of when we have a new episode out. And you can also find us on Google Playlists and really anywhere else podcasts are available to listen to. You can also find us on Instagram at Oi with the Terror already and go ahead and follow and like and subscribe to there as well because we love seeing people we love being able to reach out to new people like we said we're excited about our new listeners that we have um, and we hope to get more and more listeners as well mm-hmm. do you have anything to add send us well, i think you already said this send us listener stories mm-hmm. to our email yeah i think email yeah we want to hear suggestions or if you have any ghostly encounters yeah also you can check out our website which i believe is on anchor if i'm correct well, we have the, the Wix website. Yeah, right. It's on Wix. The URL is very long. It is. So I'm sure if you just type in Oi with the terror already on <laughs> Gmail you'll or on Google, you'll be able to uh, find the website as well and check mm. that out where it has kind of just Actually, more information. There may also, there could be a link to it through Anchor. Mm-hmm. We have a like Anchor FM account. Yeah. That's another place to listen to the pod, the episodes. Mm-hmm. So there might be a way to get to the other website on the anchor page yeah but yeah well we hope again that you enjoyed the episode and we will see you all next week bye